The Athletic. Totally Football Show today. Base behaviour and treble hopes. From Budapest and the Europa League final where Seville team beats not very civil team with a man handing out cards like Philip Schofield at a jobs fair to Wembley and this weekend's clash of Mancunian candidates in the FA Cup final. Plus Monday's Wembley affair, the League One playoff final. Josh Windus with the biggest Wednesday success since Craig David. And not forgetting who'll be left standing off to the penultimate round of the always exciting Inter-Totally Cup. It's the Totally Football Show. Right then, Thursday 1st of June. Welcome to you, listener. Thank you for joining our little podcast roundup of some pretty big events taking place in the world of cup football. Here in the studio, we've got Charlie Eccleshare and Tom Williams. Hello to you both. Hello. Hello, James. Nice to see you up on the big screen. Pin Sharp from Manchester. Laurie Whitwell. Hi, Laurie. Hi, guys. Absolute pleasure to be here. Wow. Dazzling smile. (laughs) What's not to be happy about? Sun's shining. Football's season's its climax. Yeah, absolutely. The sun's shining, though, Laurie. Is it in Manchester? Mm, Yeah. It's been shining for a few weeks, actually. Has it? Has Mm. it? Um, Am I right in saying that on Tuesday you were playing at Old Trafford against Darren (laughs) Fletcher? Yes, yes. <laughs> he tackled me at one point. He uh, he still has that kind of animal instinct, I think, in midfield. He he, he was the elbows were out. All oh, right, very which, scary. Which Darren Fletcher was this? Just to check, it was the former professional footballer, multiple Ooh. Premier League winner, Darren right. Fletcher, not the BT Sport commentator. All oh, right, disappointing. But did he go to penalties? It did not. They absolutely um, hammered us. Uh, so we were the media, you know, Manchester Pack, uh, and they were the Man United staff. So we got a few ringers in. We got Danny Weber up front, uh, Joe Thompson, and uh, Mickey Gray. I was in midfield with oh, Mickey Gray, Mickey Gray, <laughs> who who was not uh, best pleased with my abilities. He just kept screaming, "Keep hold of the ball!" Um, every time I lost it, which was fair enough because I wasn't very good. But right. um, but yeah, so the staff, United staff, heard that we'd got a few in, and I think they gave. The big man, uh, the call up, um, but it was good. It was good fun to be fair. I mean, it's incredible being out there on that pitch. So yeah, um, a lot of laughs. Remarkable, uh, Charlie. Tom, have you ever played on a, a hallowed bit of grass with a, a former ledge? We played well. Actually, tonight we've got Spurs media against staff game, but it's at the training ground rather than at the stadium. Last season we did play at the training at oh. the at the actual stadium. Yeah. Uh, Ledley King and Gary Mabbott were managers rather than players. Oh, I see. But I have played with former players before, and it is—it's very entertaining. And like Laurie says, they still take it incredibly mm, seriously. Mm. Even like five sides, they can't help it. The muscle memory kicks in, and they're just telling you where to be <laughs> the whole time. It's amazing. Right. Yeah. Tom, I've played at the Emirates, played at Old Trafford with Wes Brown and Jisung Park. Oh yeah, um, nice. Scored possibly the worst goal that Old Trafford has ever witnessed. You scored a goal in at front Old of Trafford. the Stratford End wow. from a distance of literally about. Seven inches. They all count, Tom. They Did it go in off your arse? Count. It didn't. It, I think it went off the keeper's arse. Okay. Yeah. It's right. one of those you can't possibly miss that, and I almost contrived to miss it. Magnificent. There is footage which you, I can. Do you know? I, you might have just won that game of former pro top trumps, but I think we're joined by a man who can beat <laughs> even that. James Horncastle from Budapest. Hey, James. <laughs> Hello, guys. You played with a former World Cup winner, eh? Oh, yeah. Jesus, I didn't didn't expect that tangent. Yeah, Marco Tardelli. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Reenacted a goal with him. Although I Which was going to play a German defender. <laughs> yeah. You were born for that role, surely, James. 
Absolutely. Um, I've got lots of Teutonic attributes. Um, <laughs> right. Did he do the celebration? Yeah. I'm guessing he probably doesn't do it every time he scores. No, no, he did. Oh, he did? <laughs> he absolutely did. <laughs> oh, of course, if you're recreating that goal then. Yeah, I mean, and it yeah, went that on was, for some time. He, it, you know, he was wasn't the point, Tom. Yeah. Yeah. Did he enjoy doing a few takes? <laughs> yeah. Uh, James, you're looking like a man who's been through a, a, a testing game of football. We'll come on to that uh, very, very shortly. Of course, as Laurie was hinting at, it is cup time of year. We've got the FA Cup uh, this weekend. We've just had the League One promotion playoff final. Uh, next week, there's the really big one, the Intertotally Cup final. <laughs> and just last night on Wednesday, it was the Europa League. Sevilla against Roma in Budapest. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network and sponsored by LiveScore Bet. You can get the latest football betting odds at LiveScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. It's okay. Rakitic didn't think it was, but here's Dybala with an opportunity. Jesus Navas, early ball in, an opportunity and a goal! Sevilla a level! It will be a penalty shootout after a very, very long night here. Absolutely crucial this, now. And he's made a mess of it, off the post and out. 3-1 Sevilla lead. Yeah, this is it, and look who's stepping up, Ian, it's Montiel. Gonzalo Montiel, the man whose penalty clinched the World Cup for Argentina back in December against France. And he's saved! This time Montiel doesn't score, and Roma stay alive. Taking it again, Ian, the taking oh, it again. Wow, that's a big call, isn't it? Encroachment. Decided by the VAR, so Montiel, once again, he's off the hook. He's got another chance here to win it all for Sevilla. And this time he does. They've done it again. Magnificent seven for Sevilla. Again coming from behind. Clinch it on penalties. Roma's hearts are broken. Mourinho is beaten at last. Europa League final, Wednesday night. 1-1 1-1 between Sevilla and Roma. Sevilla won it on penalties. Was it 4-1? 4-1. Mm. It was an arduous, grueling contest, particularly for those watching, people like James Horncastle. James, what was it like there in the Pushkas Arena? Great stadium, by the way, for a new build. Like, uh, it was really sort of steep, uh, great atmosphere. I mean, just below me, there was Victor Orban. Everybody's, um, well, I mean, if you're going to build stadium, sometimes you just need a, 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 guy, a guy like him. Um, a very strong man. A strong leader. <laughs> very strong man. In fact, he didn't sit down throughout. There's all the UEFA um, sort of delegates. There's Seferin, Boban, Figo, and all that sort of thing. And they were sat down and he just stood up and watched the Kicking watched every the ball. Pretty much. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, when Roma went 1-0 up, I kind of, I felt that's it. It's done. Mm. Um, because that's just what they do. They they get in front and then they back themselves to, to keep a clean sheet. And, you know, ultimately it's it's an own goal uh, that, that got Sevilla back into the competition that they always win. But 
I don't know what it looked like on TV, but being I can imagine it being pretty attritional. But the entertainment oh, yeah. value uh, at the stadium was just amazing because usually, like if you go to a Roma game, you get distracted by what the fans are doing in the in the curva. Um, but ever since Jose has been there, you get distracted by what's going out going on in the technical area. It's, it was it was unbelievable. Like I mean, Michael Oliver, who's kind of famous in Italy for having a dustbin for a heart. That's mm. what uh, Gigi Buffon said after uh, he gave that penalty in Madrid that sort of knocked Juventus out uh, a few years ago. I mean, the job he had to do to kind of keep uh, Jose and his coaching staff under control was. You could see afterwards when the referees went to get their medals, they just wanted to get out. They were just like, this has been awful. But, it, but he was <laughs> waiting for them in the car park, though. James. He was. Hmm. Because at full time, I expected um, Mourinho to go over to the Roma fans and instead he just went straight down the tunnel. I was like, oh, OK, so we're not going to see him until the press conferences, the flash interviews and that sort of thing. Um, but... Uh, one of my producers, I think, accidentally found himself in a lift with Jose. <laughs> and then, and then obviously the footage has emerged uh, this morning of him in the in the car park doing a Didier Drogba on uh, on Anthony Taylor, <laughs> which is, which is just, I mean, yeah, it was uh, it was an exhausting exhausting evening. How, how awkward uh, was it in the lift with Jose? The producer, did the producer well, I wasn't. Say, I was no, in there. It was just one of those things. No, but because the stadium is so good, you're, yeah. you're not in a. It's not. It's not like the hospital lift at San Siro, for mm. example, where you're waiting for it for twenty minutes and it takes half an hour to go from one floor to the next. It was. It was pretty swift. Um, but, but you know, Jose afterwards, <laughs> sort of saying. Look, you know, they should have booked Lamella and uh, twice and he would have got sent off and he wouldn't be in a penalty shootout. Uh, it felt like Anthony Taylor was Spanish rather than English because, um, yeah, his decisions seemed to be pro, pro Sevilla. Uh, just the whole gamut of, uh, of Mourinho-ness. Um, I mean, as much as people would concentrate on his unsporting behaviour, mm. I was quite struck at the... I mean, there was this other thing where Jose, he, he, he takes his players by the hand and like, like, a, like a sort of doting father takes them by the hand and sort of leads them back onto the pitch and he gave this sort of rousing speech in front of everyone, Phil Brown style. And, uh, and then he walked all around the stadium. So he, saw, he went to the, the Roma fans, stopped by them, and then he walked to the Sevilla fans and applauded them. Uh, and then he walked to the Sevilla players and sort of shook hands with them and then sort of hugged Mendeliba. And, uh, and, and, and then, yeah, sort of went to get his, um, his runners-up medal before the ceremony was really starting and kind of just wanted to get that kind of over with. But, um, but yeah, it was, it was a shame because, for, I mean, not for Sevilla, obviously. Not for Sevilla, yeah. For, for, for Romanisti, like, it was, that was such a pivotal game, not yeah. only because... They could have won a second trophy in, in, in two years, but also because of the Champions League money that it would have got, you know, it would be the first time that five Italian teams would be in the Champions League next year. For Roma, having not been in that competition for five years, it would have perhaps have generated the money that they could spend in the transfer market and convince Mourinho to stay. And, you know, whilst he kind of left the door open last night by saying, look, I've not had any contact with any other clubs. I want to have a meeting with... Uh, the owners and see what their plans are. Uh, 
without that Champions League money, without playing in the Champions League, you wonder what else, what more is there that he could he could do really mm. all right well uh roma fans will no doubt pound, uh, point to uh, the, the penalty they felt they should have been given for handball but others will say maybe maybe uh, tammy abraham should have taken his chance maybe Bellotti uh, should have done better on that opportunity he had and maybe their penalty takers should have been a bit better too uh, severe would you say james before we let you get off to the airport would you say severe worthy winners uh i think it was pretty even um to be honest i mean the the thing is, Jose risked Dybala from the start, and it paid off because he scored. Um, but you know, by risking these players who hadn't played for the last four weeks, you know, he, by the time it got to penalties, all of the best players were off the pitch, and and I think that kind of yeah, Suzo made an impact when he came on for Sevilla, but I think Sevilla's bench was better um, than Roma's. Um, just a magnificent story to, to have Montiel score mm. deciding penalty winning penalty shootout winning finals uh, in 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 what six months just uh, just in, insane really particularly when he'd, he'd been forced to retake that penalty yeah well um, forced but, or invited uh, to I, I imagine he was delighted to, <laughs> to retake that penalty. oh if I must <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah but um, no I mean yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. No, it's just one of those one of those games where, like, you know, you you you, you get it gets into the early hours of the morning, and you're just like you're wondering, just like this. It was partita infinita, as they say, just like it was endless. You know, yeah. it, was, it did yeah. feel like that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. You got uh, oh another two of these coming up: Fiorentina against West Ham next Wednesday, and then of course. The Interman City match, so uh, loads mm. more to be chatting with you about. But uh, buon viaggio, buon ritorno, rientro, and uh, speak to you soon. Yes, James, we will. Well, that was James Horncastle in Hungary. Crikey, have we talked enough about Mourinho? Have we talked about this man who didn't actually play in a game that the other <laughs> team won anyway? Maybe. I mean, I would just say on the on the endless theme, it was incredible because the second half of extra time, I think, lasted 10 minutes. There was 10 minutes and 24 seconds yep. of injury time. On a 15-minute period. Pro rata, that's 31 minutes and a half. Yeah. That's how much it would be added on time. I mean, it's, it was crazy. It really did feel like, yeah. I mean, 14 for, cards or yeah. 13. No one's quite sure it was that many. Literally lost count of the yeah. cards. Yeah, I mean, it was a crazy game. So he's a 60-year-old man. Jose Mourinho. Mm. How does he still have the energy for this? It's remarkable. Makes me think of like, you know, like you're a kid and one of your mates has got a dad who's quite cool, like cool dad, might have a bit of a suntan or drives a cool car. And you're like, oh, his dad's kind of cool. Right. And then like 20 years later, you see him at a wedding and he's put on a bit of weight and he's spilt red wine all over himself and he's trying to flirt with a waitress who's half his age. And it just suddenly hits you that he's not cool. At all. Was that the moment, Tom? That kind of was the moment. But not only that, you then, when you think back to the cool dad that he was previously, you can only now see that through the prism of what he he went on to become. And that's the problem now with, like, young Mourinho was magnificent. Right. Young, thrusting, provocative, successful. Mm. But now when you look back at him and you know that this is where (laughs) he kind of ends up and he's still going, I I don't know, for me, it it, it diminishes that. But what's interesting from speaking to James about this is that in Italy, when he came back, it was like he was paused. It was 2010, Mourinho. And everything that happened in between they didn't really care about so much. In the same way, 
in this country, when a manager leaves the Premier League, but that's kind what of... Italian football's for. It's this kind of bizarre cryogenic. <laughs> yeah, in Jeco and exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. But so he's not like in Italy. He's still Giroud, put on that pedestal, isn't Ibra. he? As, as yeah, oh, very much. So. Uh, you can make the case that this Roma side had no business being in that final. Uh, and I think that some of the teams that got knocked out by them and Sevilla along the way will be wondering how on earth they weren't in that final. So I think from that point of view, Roma fans were all in because they felt if Jose could get them to the final. And they were pretty, I think, I, I, I don't want to speak for everyone, but there was, I think, a sense, at least from some Roma fans, that they were flattered that he chose them. Mm. In Italy, he is a legend because what he did with Inter, who also kind of had no business winning that, that treble, but did. And um, yeah. They like having him in their corner. But you know what? We should talk a little bit about Sevilla. Unless, Laurie, you want to talk about Mourinho because you had him there at Manchester, didn't you? Well, exactly. I, I sort of started covering United after he left, but oh, still right, okay. the scar tissue of his <laughs> tenure was was there. So, um, yeah, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer finding the balm to some degree. Hmm. But I, I thought that Jose was supposed to be in this kind of latter stage of his career charming phase what? where he, he'd kind of you know, toned it down a bit. No, it's like the total opposite, wasn't it, last yeah. night? It was absolutely revved up to the max. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I actually have to confess, I was watching the game, you know, in preparation for this podcast. Um, I don't know if I would have done so in, in its entirety had I not had this. And I was actually falling asleep whilst those injury time minutes were being added up because people were just falling on the floor, weren't they? And yeah. it was kind of... Can we get a bit of football going? I mean, the guy, was it Jordan, who'd been booked on the bench for Sevilla, then went on with a booking already <laughs> to his name, um, which is, I don't know, must be a rarity. Um, but I suppose, yeah, at least yeah. there was some drama at the end with the penalty shootout having to be, you know, the, the winning kick having to be retaken. Yeah. And, and Jose not giving up the ghost, you know, hunting down Anthony Taylor in the car park. I mean, it did, it did feel a bit unedifying, even for Jose, that. Mm. I mean, the endlessness of it did remind me of covering tennis, where you're desperate for a match to end so you mm. can write your piece and go home, and then someone isn't the, who? Yeah, exactly. And, or someone will win the fourth set and take it into the side. You're just like, no, please end. And it kind of felt a little bit like that. Like, I, I mean, to the point where the commentators were talking about doing away with extra time right. as a concept, which is yeah. never like a great <laughs> reflection on a game. And it it wasn't a ridiculous conversation to be having because it was one of those where. It was very clear there wasn't going to be a goal. Well, as somebody said, get rid of extra time when I'm bored of extra time. Because there are plenty of games when extra yeah. time's... Yeah, I say well, plenty, the World Cup final. The World Cup final. Extra time was go. sensational. Yeah. But, I mean, but, I, but I think when yeah, when the question was put to Steve McManaman, I think... I think yeah, he came put, out with one or two interesting comments. As, as, as he often does. Mm. But I think for once there was probably a sense that if we could have scrapped extra time in this one competition right. for this one particular <laughs> game... Then a bit like, is it League Cup replays where they just go straight to... Extra time. Yeah, yeah, yes. exactly. Sorry, go straight to penalties. Straight to penalties. What would yeah. be really interesting is if they did like a blind declaration system where oh. at 90 minutes they said to both managers, if you want, <laughs> yeah. you can declare here basically we'll go straight to penalties. Okay. And one team might and the other wouldn't. What about, could you do that at half time as well? <laughs> that might be too soon. <laughs> All right. Do you well, know what? Let's talk about Sevilla. Here's a stat. That's the seventh time they've won this competition in its uh, various iterations. I know. But uh, seven times in 17 years, that's more than once every three seasons. I mean, it's its ridiculous. I, and I think about the conversations we have about the Champions League sometimes mm. and about some of the big clubs that haven't won the Champions League. Oh, Manchester City still haven't won the Champions League, although you know they might be about to do that. PSG have, still haven't won the Champions League. And then the counter-argument you often hear, or the, the sort of counterpoint you often hear, is, well, it's a knockout competition. Only one team can win it every season. All the big clubs are going for it. It's very difficult to win. 
So for one team who are the what kind of fourth or fifth strongest team in Land in La Liga most seasons to right. have dominated not this, season, not this season oh but you know over the past 15 20 years to have dominated this tournament to, to that extent and yeah. with and and also a club who um you know, who sell a lot of players. You know, this hasn't been the the, the same. Okay, it's the, obviously the same club and, and the same infrastructure and what have you. But I mean, you know, that this is different iterations of Sevilla winning the same tournament over and over mm. again. It's extraordinary. It is extraordinary. And extraordinary to think that what Man United were two 0 up with how many minutes to go in the first leg of their ten minutes final. Yeah, they, I mean, they should have won by more. You know, there's people that look back at that um, game and think United could have put the tie to bed there and then. Um, I mean, yeah, they. Suffered a couple of injuries, Varane and Martinez, and yeah, it was a bit of a, a scrappy end to the game too. Too, but that's what Sevilla do, right? In this competition, they just get keep their fingertips onto the tie, and, and then to be fair, the, the game in Seville was absolutely incredible. The atmosphere, the, the fans were just ridiculous. It was the best atmosphere I've been in all season, perhaps mm. for a few years actually, and it seemed to translate over in Budapest as well, where you know you got that whole end and they're all bouncing, and obviously the penalties are at that end as well. So I don't know if that played a factor. But yeah, they, they love this competition, clearly. And did, did you see this stat, James? I'm sorry if I'm, I'm stealing your thunder here. Uh, Not but, at all, go for uh, it. On, on, the, on the TV, they said that a Spanish team hasn't lost a European mm. final to a foreign team since 2001. Yeah. Uh, Bayern Munich versus Valencia in the Champions League. I mean, that is, that is incredible. incredible. Yeah. I mean, it's just weird with Sevilla as well that then in the Champions League... I can't believe he's done that. It was just like... <laughs> teed up, ready to go. <laughs> it's absolutely seething. He's smiling. He's not happy. Just going to turn my laptop away from the Zoom camera here. <laughs> Sorry, Charlie. Well, just how weird it is that then in the Champions League, that this Europa League form they have doesn't really translate. No, they were awful. And that they're always, they always seem quite happy to... Because now, obviously, you can go out of the Champions League and go back into the Europa League. Yeah. I don't know. It feels like they're sort of... But then again, ri- they were a different team back then with you know, a different manager. True. But I just mean over time as well. They often feel like they've sort of retreated back to their happy place of the Europa yeah. League. But this, I mean, you were saying they always do this, but this is what's extraordinary. This was the season in which it was impossible for them to do it. Disastrous start under Lopetegui. Didn't get much better under Jorge, what's his name, uh, Sampaoli. And uh, and when Mendelebar comes in, they're in the bottom three, mm. effectively. He's taken them up to 11th place uh, in the space of about two months. Got them into the Champions League, courtesy of this victory. He hadn't He hadn't been in work for a couple of years before this. It were just remarkable. I, Horncastle wasn't convinced that they deserved it, but they probably did. I mean, certainly in possession terms, they shaded it. On well, shots actually, on as expected well. goals, it was yeah. actually Roma who. Oh, was it? Who sh- I mean, it, it felt Though like you a don't sort get of... anything for the own goal, do you? So that was slight because that was yes, that's true. But that was cla- I mean, it was Mancini who put it into his own net, but it was a classic uh, severe move. Exactly, that's what yeah. I mean. So that mm. that deserves more than nothing in expected goals terms. Mm. But I mean, like you know, Roma made the better start. I think we're probably a bit more proactive than. A lot of us would have been expecting and, and go ahead with that nicely taken Paolo Di Bale goal. And then Sevilla had the, the best of the second half. And then I'm not sure whether this is because I just wasn't paying attention. But I can't remember a single moment of goal mouth incident in the whole <laughs> of extra time, despite the fact it lasted for about an hour. They were right. just all collapsing in the yeah. sense of the weren't they? <laughs> That's why yeah. they should have declared. It was because it, it was so clearly finished. According to the Who Scored website, hmm. powered, I believe, by Opta, there were nine shots. Really? An extra time, but but really, eight of which were by Sevilla, one of which was by Chris Smalling, which was the, the header that, that hit the crossbar. I don't remember any of them. All right, only um, two shots on target. 
Yeah. So actually, it was quite lively, really, when you think about it. And then all that uh, drama of the penalty shootouts. Anything else you want to say about Wednesday's Europa League final, Laurie? Well, this is going to sound really sad, but for some reason in my mind, I had the Undertaker's unbeaten streak at WrestleMania in my mind because oh. of Jose's winning every European uh, competition. And then right. obviously, famously, for those that follow this kind of thing, the Undertaker's winning streak did actually end. 21 and, and 1 it was then. To so. Brock Lesnar, wasn't it? It's a great knowledge, Charlie. I've, I've just had to Google that. What is going this on is how here? Sad I am. All right, this is wrestling, isn't it? Very much so. Uh, yeah. Well, well, it was wrestling last night, wasn't it? It was all sort of stage <laughs> drama and pantomime. And, and in like a year where, where Rafa Nadal isn't playing at Roland Garros, which is, in my mind, the only comparable streak to The Undertaker one that Laurie references. Mm. Lovely segue. And, uh, and Dan Mourinho goes as well. I mean, the first goal was talked about before a lot, wasn't it? That Henrik Larsson was the last and only player to score against. Well, he's still the only. He's, he's still the only last opposition player. Opposition player. Yeah. So there's that. Anyway, well done, Sevilla. Uh, into the Champions League they go. Presumably, then do Spain get five teams in the competition? I believe so. Yeah, next season. Will, yeah. Crikey. Well, that's lovely for them, isn't it? All right, that's enough about uh, the events in Budapest on Wednesday night. Let's get on to Saturday's action and the FA Cup final next. This is the Totally Football Show, sponsored by LiveScore Bet. With Bet Builder from LiveScore Bet, you can combine markets from thousands of options to create your own bet on the biggest football fixtures in the Premier League, the Champions League, the EFL, and around the world. So if you think you can successfully pick the first goal scorer, the final score, the total number of corners, and whether there'll be a red card, then use Bet Builder from LiveScore Bet to make up to six selections and get a single bet with the combined odds. Or if you can't make up your mind, you can choose from the pre-built quick bet options. Bet Builder from LiveScore Bet. Building a bet just got easier. Find out more at LiveScoreBet.com or by downloading the LiveScore Bet app on Android and iPhone. It's over 18s only. Full account terms apply. And of course, please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. This Saturday, it's the FA Cup final, and it's the first ever FA Cup final between Man United and Man City. In fact, it's the first major final, correct me if I'm wrong, Laurie, between these two clubs ever. That is correct, yes. Uh, they were in the FA Cup semi-final in 2011, which mm. was at Wembley, and that was quite a tasty uh, experience. And so, therefore, in advance of that, the authorities have said that uh, coaches taking the rival supporters down to London have to use different service stations. Uh, whether or not they will do, I, I don't know. But I'm driving down myself on Saturday, so I might have to follow that. Protocol, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, wow, um, and hopefully avoid any trouble. Yeah, fingers crossed. I wonder if they'll toss a coin... So that 
see who gets to pick their favourite service station. Yeah. Well, no, it's it's already been assigned by sort of Great Manchester Police, and and quite funnily, the Man City route that's been uh, advised uh, is a much longer route, so they have to kind of go across the Pennines <laughs> and then down the M1. So I don't I don't know if they're actually going to oblige that, but you know, it's funny that they've tried. Hmm. Big question beyond that is uh, whether United can stop the treble and get themselves a cup double, uh, Laurie, but mostly stop the treble. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, that's the big one, isn't it? I mean, um, Eric Tenag mentioned it as soon as they'd got past Brighton in the semi-final. I mean, he, he was asked about it, but he, he very much uh, ran into that kind of uh, narrative. Uh, and then he mentioned it again on the pitch uh, after the Fulham game on Sunday, um, sort of revving up the crowd and the atmosphere was, was quite striking actually I thought you know, and maybe that's in his attempt to plant the seed in the play in the minds of his players that yeah we can actually do this but yeah the trouble is you know it's United's big thing isn't it the only English team to have ever done it as you referenced earlier Inter have done it for Italy but there's only a few teams in Europe that have, have managed it across the whole you know however many hundreds of years of, of football so um, yeah that's that's the big I mean I think United fans have come to terms with City doing this at some stage because they've been knocking on the door for a few years haven't they I mean they've, they've got to a final previously they, they keep winning the Premier League they, they keep winning cup competitions so you sort of think it's going to happen at some stage but I think United for them to be able to actually stop it happening right now would be a huge huge thing um, and it, yeah it recalled to mind a little bit you know the 2018 derby when City could have won the mm. Premier League title officially against United at the Etihad and it was kind of a wild atmosphere and they were they were loving it 2-0 up at half-time and United came back to win. And it's it's small crumbs, really. I mean, United should be bigger than this, but I think, um, yeah, the, the idea that they can actually still lay claim to being the only team to have won the treble um, will be huge. I think already United fans are actually also um, kind of trying to explain how their treble would still be better, whatever <laughs> happens. Uh, obviously, 99 was very dramatic. There was lots of jeopardy involved. The Premier League title went down to the final day. There was comeback victories. So, And it was a different sort of sport, wasn't it? A different landscape then. So there's, I think they're already laying the foundation for the inevitable, which would be a City win on Saturday. And there is, of course, historical precedent. 1977, mm. FA Cup final. Liverpool are already league champions. They've got the European Cup final to come four days later. Who are they up against in the final? Manchester United. Opportunity to prevent Liverpool from winning what would have been the first ever treble in English football. And they did. They won 2-1 with possibly the worst ever winning goal in an FA Cup final. Lou Macari, who (laughs) has a shot that is flying miles wide, hits Jimmy Greenhoff on the chest and loops into the net. United win 2-1. Worse than your goal at Stretford End, Tom? I mean, it was... I mean, probably as bad, okay. as bad. I put them on a, a similar level. Um, and four and and four four days later, Liverpool went on and won their first European Cup. So United have have spoilt uh, the treble bid of uh, a, a big rival. Weed on the, the chips in, of a big rival in the exact same circumstances. Good lord! Well, this time around, uh, I noticed you said, Laurie, that it's inevitable. Uh, a, a city win. It's all about the big man up front, isn't it? Uh, I'm talking about Vogt Veghorst, of course. <laughs> Is he going to be leading the line for United given the injury situation? I don't know. I mean, he, he started 19 games in a row after signing, like straight away into mm. the team. Had like had one training session, and then it was just a kind of continuous cycle of him starting these games. He scored two goals for United. He still hasn't scored in the Premier League. Obviously, he won't do for United. He missed a good chance at Fulham, and he kind of collapsed the turf. And you know, you could see the pain on his face because this for him, he knows this is beyond whatever he could possibly have, have dreamt. You know, competing in these kind of games, so um, he's kind of trying to milk it for every moment he can. 
I mean, Anthony Marshall's injury, you know, perhaps isn't a surprise when you look at his um, career recently, but it still was a bit of a shock, I suppose, when it was confirmed this week uh, that he wouldn't be in the game. Anthony also uh, looks like a serious, serious doubt for the game. So, yeah, the options are actually getting minimal. It's basically Marcus Rashford up front or Val Vegost. So it depends whether... Eric Ten Hag wants Rashford kind of in his better position, which is off the left, maybe up against Kyle Walker, um, or he, he thinks actually, yeah, I can put Val Vegost on up front again. I mean, yeah, we were talking off off air, weren't we, about the famous 2012 derby, Mario Balotelli revealing the T-shirt, Why Always Me, uh, 2011. in relation to... 2011-12, I kind of have it in my mind as 2012, just because it was <laughs> that was the title. That, sure. that, I mean, that 6-1 win... Basically that was the difference, the won, goal difference, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, it was the goal difference. You know, United trying to chase it and, and get back level and, and conceding three goals late on. And obviously Balotelli, you know, why always me? Because he'd, he'd been in the news, hadn't he, for his firework party. Um, yeah, maybe there's some more fireworks to come. I don't know. Sorry, that's a very bad... No, uh, it absolutely yeah, works. Yeah. I had that to go um, next as well. But, uh, <laughs> Charlie? On this game? Oh, no, I thought you were about to say something. If not, no, sit no. back and enjoy. As I ask about the other big man up front, that Erling Haaland fellow, who, oh, good Lord. In that 6-3, because they met two times already this season in the league, these two teams, 2-1 most recently for Man United at Old Trafford in mid-January. But back at the Etihad, you had the highest scoring derby in Manchester of all time, City's 6-3 win, featuring three goals and two assists from the giant Norwegian fellow. Meat slab. Yeah, I mean, that was a day that looked like there was light years between Man City and Man United. Maybe there still is, you know, over the course of the season. Was it 14, 15 points they finished ahead? Um, but United, United were, were terrorised by City that day. Um, Kevin De Bruyne was incredible. Phil Foden scored a hat-trick as well. And you kind of forget that that was when you thought he was going to cement his status in the team. And actually, um, Jack Grealish was the one to come through. Um but yeah, Haaland, I think you can sense that he will particularly enjoy if he's able to make the defining factor in, in this game on Saturday. You know, the, the whole idea that, as Oleg Solskjaer has recently written, recently spoken about, that he recommended um, him to United when he was at Mulder and four million and what could have been. I don't know. I kind of, I think back on it and, and just the influence of his father, Alfie, and, and would he ever really have allowed that? Um, it seems like it's a, a good match for them at the moment at City and... And Haaland, um, yeah, he's had a, a season like no other, hasn't he? If he yeah. can, if he can, if he can top it off with a, you know, a, some kind of winning goal at, at, in Wembley against these sides, I'm sure he'll be absolutely thrilled. Is this going to be a good game after the match? Monday's wasn't great. We'll get onto that very shortly. The the uh, League One playoff final Wednesday's was well, what it was. I mean, we can perhaps console ourselves with the thought that it couldn't conceivably be any worse. Well, we said than that on Monday, Roma Sevilla. Yeah, but I mean, I, I'm not sure. Or longer, not all or, or longer. <laughs> so there's that. I mean, I, this is this is one of the many examples of uh, this very long season having featured matches that I completely forgotten about. But when these two teams last met mm. in January at Old Trafford in the league. United won mm, yeah. uh, with that extremely <clears throat> controversial Bruno Fernandes goal when Marcus Rashford was played through and then sort of stepped away from the ball at the last minute and Fernandes came in and, and scored. And, and I think that that left United and City relatively close. Mm, I think there was yeah. about five points between them in, in the yeah. table at the time. Albeit this is before Guardiola had, had landed on the magic formula mm. of John Stone stepping into midfield Jack Grealish on the left wing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it was a different kind of City team, but you know, recent evidence at least of of United being able to compete with and 
you know, even defeat City, albeit in controversial circumstances. So, yeah, obviously City are favourites. Um, you know, I, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. But the recent history of the Manchester derby has thrown up quite a lot of surprising results. City looking to become the first team since Bury 120 years ago to win this competition without conceding a single goal mm. along the way. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, but actually what's especially interesting about that league game is that United came from behind to win. Normally when City go ahead, it's sort of game over. And I do slightly feel at Wembley on Saturday, if they do go ahead, I, th I think for it to be an interesting game, you really want United to get the first goal. Otherwise, there is a chance City will just go into that sort of lockdown mode where they strangle you and squeeze the space and it becomes extremely difficult. Uh, but obviously, United did come from behind to win at Old Trafford. But yeah, I, I think for the state of the game, it needs that. United to make a good start and for them to really believe in it. Because I think City, this City team, how confident they are right now, it could, could be a bit comfortable if they go ahead early. I, I do generally think the players believe. I mean... Um... It was the annual award ceremony on Monday night and Ten Hag, people that spoke to him, he was just very, very calm. I mean, this was before Marshall had been confirmed out, so maybe that, that's changed things. But um, he was, you know, what we got to worry about, you know, we've beaten them already <coughs> once this season. And also previous seasons, you know, Solskjaer had a bit of a formula for beating Guardiola's team. And it is clearly a case of soaking up pressure and, and hitting on the counter, really. You know, um, it was obviously the Casemiro pass, wasn't it, for... For uh, aimed for Rashford, that fell to Fernandez that that started that, and and then the second goal as well was it was a counter. So, yeah, I think they've got the players that can do it, but they need to be absolutely perfect for it to come off. And and you saw at the Etihad, as, as James said earlier, that if they're not on it for, you know, I don't know, a couple of minutes, then City can get the tails up and just absolutely submerge them. All right. Huge game then on Saturday, uh, Laurie. Just uh, briefly, uh, any takeover news? Where are we uh, with that? with the season now finished and the summer transfer window fast approaching yeah I think um, I think we are advancing there's uh, Sheikh Jassim's bid obviously but also Shajim Ratcliffe's bid and I think that's the favoured one at the moment we've reported last week that uh, there's been talks held where it's been implied that he feels like he's going to get the club ultimately um, but it's still not been decided as far as I'm aware I don't think anyone's sort of said yes you've got it but I think they're kind of putting the the, the building bricks in place to potentially take <laughs> over but then at the same time they are progressing with transfer talks you know looking at targets speaking to clubs and players mm. so that they're kind of acting like business as usual and which, which, which know, players Laurie which players we, we've just done one on Rasmus Hoyland oh, who yeah. is the Atalanta striker mm. he's 20 so I think Ten Hag wants a Younger striker, ideally, as well as an experienced one, and maybe Charlie and I will discuss a certain Harry Kane uh, later. But um, we'll talk about him now, if you like. We can talk about him now, if you sure. want. Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I don't know what you, where you're coming from, Laurie, but I don't think he'll go this summer just because yeah. because he's on a free next year. I can't see United, and you'll know this better than me, really knowing that he's on a free next year, them making an offer that Levy can't refuse. I just, I, I'd be really surprised if that happened. So I think it will kind of suit everyone for Kane to see out his contract rather than go this summer. Mm. Yeah, that's that, that would be my gut as well. I mean, Kane is the one that Ten Hag ultimately wants. I think he's been absolutely convinced of that. And look at his season, you know, 30 goals in the Premier League in that Spurs side. Even though he's 29, that is absolute quality. Um, and But I agree with you that the, the money situation at United is tight. They, they can't just go and spend whatever they want. Um, they have to sell, really, to, to buy in a, in a big way. So that's why I think they're looking at a striker like Hoyland. There's um, Rundle Kolomouani as well at Frankfurt. But I think...
think their their price is high. So I, you know, I think Hoyland's perhaps if they do go for a younger one, he would be the one because he's uh, he's a bit less expensive than, mm. than Moani. But yeah, there's Mason Mount as well. Um, they've uh, held talks over him. Uh, so to Tenag also wants a kind of mobile number eight. Um, so they're the two positions that are the priorities at the moment. All right. Well, more chat to come. Next up, we're going to get on to Monday's League One playoff final. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You're listening to the Totally Football Show with James Richardson, sponsored by LifeScore Bet. You can get the latest football betting odds at LifeScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Is there time for a winner? Is there? Monday at Wembley, Barnsley nil, Sheffield Wednesday one. The Owls climb to the championship for next season in dramatic fashion. Just Windass with the with the last minute goal right at the end of extra time. Joining us now is the Athletics EFL correspondent Nancy Froston. Uh, hello, Nancy. Hello. Hello again. Hey, last week you were on talking about the a miracle comeback in the semi-final by Wednesday. This time it's the Windass Wonder. Yeah, one miracle after another, it felt like. But um, some goal to win it if, if you're going to do it with your dad in the stands as well in pretty dramatic fashion. It was um, amazing. It was amazing. And it, as is the fact that dad himself had, had done it in similar circumstances, albeit for the... Uh, Premier League promotion uh, just 14 years earlier uh, and a, a very emotional video that he posted did you see that his, um, his 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 comments afterwards from his car yeah I did and I think he'd done one on the way down in the morning to say he felt sick basically and he never felt nervous when he was a player but obviously watching your son does something different to you and kind of the nerves and everything um but yeah i think he was in tears wasn't he he uh, was yeah car, so i mean you you can imagine it's bad my little boy my little boy in this scored the winner at wembley oh my god he was 12 year old and he watched me do it and he's just emulated it i just can't believe it what was also interesting about that was if you follow the rest of his social media feed, he's got some great business opportunities for CBD oils. So <laughs> if that's something that interests you, follow Dean Windows. Uh, what, beyond that and, and the, the remarkable goal, and there were fantastic scenes. We should, we should talk about those afterwards where, for the fans and, and, and for Darren Moore as well. Heartwarming stuff, Nancy. Yeah, it really was, um, especially after, and I think Windows said this himself in his post-match interview, a fairly poor quality game mm. so it was kind of nice to see it all uh play out that way because all the other 
playoff finals this season have gone to penalties. So everyone was fully prepared for that. And I think overhearing some conversations between Wednesday fans on the tube out of Wembley, they were kind of, you know, we were a good hour and a half post full time and, and they were kind of going, oh, it's only just sinking in that it happened because, you know, everyone had convinced themselves it was going to penalties. But um, yeah, 10 seconds left on the clock. And uh, literally the last kick of the game. And then I don't, I don't even know, they must have just about touched the ball back for a restart, uh, Barnsley, and then he blew the whistle. So, yeah, nice nice scenes for Darren Moore as well because he's um, one of football's nice guys. So, you yeah. know, a bit of a win for the nice guy there. Uh, heartbreaking, meanwhile, for Barnsley. Anyone you want to cite from them? Eisted? Is it Eisted, the keeper? Yeah, yeah, he had a phenomenal game. And I think it was so funny because he'd made a couple of absolutely massive saves one from like point blank range and I have no idea how he did it um but once that goal went in a few people in the press box were like oh should he have done better with that and I thought well he's literally saved everything else that you know that's been asked of him so it, it was a shame for him and um Mads Anderson was a real standout at, at centre back and Herbie Kane was running the show in central midfield so I actually think they were the better side across the game but Obviously, over the course of the season, um, Wednesday got 96 points, which is incredible to not go up automatically. So maybe justice done in, in some ways, but it was pretty heartbreaking to see it end in, in that fashion for them. Mm. Maybe they'll use that as fuel for next year. As regards Wednesday, what do you reckon on their chances of keeping that magnificent League One form in the division above? Yeah, I think I think they've got a good chance because they've already got... A lot of players that are probably championship quality, in all honesty, you know, Barry Bannon, Lee Gregory, these are players that we've seen in the championship not not too long ago, but they obviously stuck with the project at Wednesday for days like this at Wembley. So, um, and to kind of get the club back where they, they feel the club belongs. So, yeah, I, I think they'll be, be active in the transfer market because they can be. Uh, they've got that pulling power and they'll probably have a bit of a turnover of, of players but they've already got quite a strong foundation I think to um, definitely stay up ne- next season and then who knows above that Brilliant, excellent stuff Nancy, well done for getting through all of that and the other very very lengthy uh, playoff finals uh, throughout this weekend and look forward to catching up with you again soon. Yeah, thank you very much Pleasure This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Sheffield Wednesday with some Golden Wembley memories. Oh, here's a question from Kaz B. Hello, Kaz. Who says, June the 1st, oh, that's today, marks 16 years, brackets, exclamation mark, since England's first game at the new Wembley Stadium, Mm. which was a 1-1 with Brazil. There'd been, I think, an under-21s game before that with Pazzini. Pazzini, hat-trick. Hat-trick, yeah. But England's first game at Wembley Stadium was 16 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kaz B says what are the panel's greatest memories of the stadium ahead of this cup final this weekend one random fact continues Kaz is that Nicky Shorey played 90 minutes for England against Brazil in that first match mm. what's your favourite do you have a favourite Wembley memory Laurie I was thinking yeah well I was thinking back to when you mentioned the uh, England uh, first game because the first FA Cup final was mm-hmm. uh, United v Chelsea oh, and yeah. I was you know as a 
someone who has affection for United. I was trying to cling uh, to that situation where United actually ended that season as champions, but they lost the final game at uh, home to West Ham, who were fighting for their lives. And then, you know, was the momentum really there with them? That's the kind of thing that I'm looking at the City situation, right. drawn a loss. Is there, is there some rustiness or are they just been on the lash and, and they're going to turn up when it they've, matters? They've drunk um, all the alcohol in Manchester. <laughs> well, absolutely. Yeah. None left, none left for me. But uh, yeah, that was what I was thinking. So that, that's not a great memory though from a United perspective. Um, I'm trying to think of a, a favourite. I mean, I did go to the old Wembley a few times and saw a, a Charity Shield game because it was the Charity Shield back then right. uh, where Arsenal won 3-0. Uh, so that wasn't a great day either. Okay. Um, I, I went to the League Cup final, uh, Southampton Horrible. United, right. won 3 2. So okay. Tom, any great? You don't have to list all of them, just any great. Uh... <laughs> I, I must admit, I've been to so many games at Wembley have you? and seen so many terrible mm, England right. yeah, qualifiers yeah. and friendlies. But if I had to pick, I'm going to pick two. Okay. A sporting memory, which was the 2013 FA Cup final. That was going to be one of mine, yeah. Wigan Athletic. Okay. Yeah. Beating Manchester City yeah. against the odds. And then a, for the sort of the non-sporting aspect, the England-France friendly after the, the terror attacks in Paris when oh, the yeah. stadium sang La Marseillaise. Oh, that's lovely. Which was a nice, a nice moment. Yeah, the two, I, one of those was the 2013 FA Cup final. The other is that 2011 Champions League final, which Barca won mm. 3-1 against United, which... I think is possibly the best performance by a club team I've ever seen. Or maybe up there with that same season when they beat Real Madrid 5-0, but they were just absolutely unbelievable. Or well, City's first half against Real Madrid the other day, a lot of people were. Yeah. 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 But to do it in a final like they did. Right. I mean, they made... United, they, they scored, but that was about all they did. They were absolutely battered on the, on the night. United battered at Wembley by a Pep Guardiola side <laughs> yeah. in the cup final. Hmm. Mm. Mm. I think as well that goal featured a goal each from the front three and an assist each from the midfield three and there's something just really nice and satisfying that is, about that. Yeah. All right. Philip Fellows says, Hi guys, are we too reluctant to discuss and factor factors from outside football into players and teams' performances? I think, says Philip, of the death of Ventroni. And the way Spurs largely collapsed subsequently, given the small margins involved in top-level sport, surely things like this are more significant than we allow. Charlie, is that fair? Yeah, that definitely is. That had a big effect on the players. And also the fact that Conte obviously lost Ventrono as a close friend. Gianluca Vialli, mm. uh, over the course of the season, he was, he was unwell. Conte obviously had to have the operation. But in terms of the, the Spurs team... Oh, yeah, so, so, so Conte I just, having the injury. Yeah, so the, I just... Uh, you know, operation. that can affect him and... Right. Yeah, I think, of course, it has a huge effect. You know, you lose a, a much beloved colleague and coach. Obviously, though, we like with foot, to try and make sense of football. We like things that are quantifiable, and mm. those things aren't. So you can't ever know. But you, I think you can... X morning doesn't exist. Exactly. Yeah. But you can say that it's stands to reason that that definitely would have had an effect on people and, and potentially then their performance. Good point, Philip. Uh, now... FA Cup final coming up on Saturday at 3 o'clock. At that exact moment that they kick off at Wembley at the Philips Stadion in Eindhoven, it's the Women's Champions League final. Barcelona taking on Wolfsburg. Barcelona in the final for the fourth time in five seasons. However, in very unsevere-esque fashion, they've only won one of their previous three appearances in the big game. A Saturday evening, meantime, it's the Scottish Cup final. Who's in that one, Tom? I'll tell you. It's Celtic, yes. And Inverness Caledonian Thistle. Cali. It was 
a victory by said team in the year 2000 that produced that headline. Super Cali Go Ballistic Celtic are atrocious. Yes. Although I didn't realise this, but I now know that that was actually a homage to a much, 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 much earlier headline uh, from the 1960s. Uh, there was an interview with the, oh, yeah. the the guy who'd written the headline, the sub-editor at whatever newspaper it was. And he said, yeah, actually, this was uh, it was our version of a of a headline news when Liverpool striker Ian Callaghan scored three goals against QPR and they wrote, Super Cali scores a hat-trick, QPR atrocious. Oh, that's yeah, nice. Yeah. I didn't know that, that it was... I uh, didn't know yeah. that either. Oh. Knowledge. If you've learnt one thing, mm. you've, you've, learnt, you've learnt one thing. Okay. Uh, oh, is that going to be Ange Postacoglu's final game in Glasgow? Could be. It's He's got... Because Spurs. Yeah, he is emerging as the front-runner. But wary of being too definitive just because there have been a lot of managers both in this search and particularly in 2021 that it looked like were the front runners and then didn't join um so i wouldn't say it's nailed on guaranteed but yeah that's would the it direction be a good, of travel would, would it be a good move if it happens <sighs> it it's a really difficult one like, there's a lot of hostility towards it happening from spurs fans this sense of you know does he really have the pedigree um you know his good work comes in Scotland with Celtic and in Australia and in Japan. Does he have the necessary experience? Uh, I, some people are also holding his age against him. He's 57. And I think the idea was that Spurs would bring in a kind of young coach with fresh ideas. On the other hand, he has done a very good job, certainly at Celtic and lots of places he's been to. He plays very attacking football. You know, he's uh evangelical really about that and how he wants to play he's not going to compromise those principles a lot of principles that Spurs fans agree with mm -hmm. um, so it's really hard to I, I think there is a possibility it could he's also quite um, forthright in the way he talks and you know that can go down very well it mm. can also sometimes not so I think there is a chance it would blow up but he's you know he came in at Celtic and there was a lot of skepticism there as well and he turned that round uh, and they love him I mean they from speaking to people there they'd be absolutely gutted to lose him so who knows we'll I mean we thought Conte and Mourinho were or certainly you know some people thought they were going to be the men to finally get Spurs over the line that didn't happen so who all knows alright mm. right. more when we know more but follow all the latest developments from the always dramatic Spurs on the Athletic uh, with the fine work of uh, Charlie and colleagues excellent oh next up it's intertotally time. It's time for the Intertotally Cup with proceeds going to Prostate Cancer UK. To find out more about Prostate Cancer UK's work in football, join Prostate FC, the biggest team in football taking on the most common cancer in men. Save lives from the pitch, the sofa and the stands. Visit prostatecancerukorg prostatefc. All right, Intertotally Cup semi-final number two, Monday in the first semi. Producer Charlie. Ooh reached the final in his debut competition after a nervy contest with the New York Times's Rory Smith. Today, we find out who producer Charlie will be facing. Let's meet today's first semi-finalist. Up first, he's the two-time Intertotally champion and the centrefold of an especially racy edition of the New Statesman back in 2020. Lady and gentlemen, he is pod royalty. He is Michael Cox. 
Yeah, Michael Cox here in the uh, here in the studio. Michael, thank you for joining us. Pleasure. It's a bit more intense face to face. It First is. time I've done a, a quiz in the studio. I feel like I'm in the mastermind chair here. Yeah, I mean it's very much that level of pressure. Of well, even more intense than the mastermind chair because when you're in the mastermind chair, all right. your uh, opponents are yeah. all sitting on the big old sofa behind you, aren't they? Right. Ideally, we put like a we train a spotlight on Michael and have the rest of the studio in pitch blackness. Something for next season, perhaps. (laughs) So far, you you got past Jay Harris in the quarterfinals to reach this semi-final. In the first round, you knocked out Charlie Eccleshare here. What was that like, being up against Michael? (laughs) (laughs) It was an intense experience. Right. But I did get my revenge. Did you? As quiz quiz master. Did you wait for him in the car park? Yeah, yeah, exactly. He got got revenge in the Football Clichés quiz by asking me dodgy questions. Oh, were you the quiz master? Yeah, Yeah. very much so, yeah. Right. That's wrong, having a quiz master also. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I was just setting the questions. And then it was was Adam uh, against Michael. Oh, okay. And a thriller. It was a good quiz, actually. Really good quiz. Right. Recommended. Well, you got five out of five against Charlie in the first round. Dropped, I think, one question in the quarterfinal against Jay Harris. So, hmm... And as Ben mentioned there, two-time champion. So a lot of pedigree there. Let's find out who's going to be taking you on. And his opponent, just like his beloved Wales in Euro 2016, he's progressed further in this year's competition than anyone expected. Like Gareth Bale, but without the top knot, he is Tom yeah, Tom Williams. Uh, to Michael's great surprise, actually, Michael, you were convinced that you were going to be facing somebody else. For some reason, I thought Matt had won that quarterfinal, so my right. opposition scouting, you know, I've just right. put that in the shredder. Right. Mind, pure mind games. Pure mind Came games. in saying, hey, what? You sure you didn't lose your quarterfinal? <laughs> just starting, starting early, trying to, get in your, trying to get in your head. But Tom had never won a inter-totally cup matchup uh, previously to this year. Now, Tom, you're just one, well, you're six questions away from being in the final. I mean, is it the fairy tale story? You know, not for me to say. Um, if people are saying that, then fine. I'm just going to, you know, carry on uh, as usual. Quiz my quiz my natural quiz. Pressure's obviously all on, on, on Coxie's shoulders as the two-time champion. Right. You know, anything that I get out of this is, is a bonus. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Matt Davis-Adams in the quarterfinal. Adrian Clark. In the first round, whoever get, does get through today will take on producer Charlie in the final next week. They'll also receive a £10, which life score bet will place on the wager of your choice with the winning is going to Prostate Cancer UK. What's your bet, Tom? Um, uh, Marcus Rashford, first goal scorer in the FA Cup final. Is that right? Michael, what about you? Uh, Barcelona to win both halves of the Women's Champions League final against Wolfsburg. Mm. Magnificent. Let's get this semi-final underway. Up first, it's you, Matt Davis-Adams. Oh, sorry, but it's that. <laughs> up you, it's... F- uh, up, up first, it's you, Tom Williams, uh, with this. Which Champions League winning player does this career path belong to? Racing Club, Genoa, Real Zaragoza, Genoa, Inter, Racing Club. Or Racing Club. Go through it again, please. Yeah. Racing Club, Genoa, Real Zaragoza, Genoa, Inter, 
Racing Club. Pleasing symmetry to that arc. Mm. Probably someone from Argentina, I'm thinking. Couldn't possibly say. Begins and ends at Racing Club. Two spells at Genoa, Real Saragossa and Inter. A little bit of a stab in the dark. Mm -hmm. Diego Melito. He's correct! What a stab that was. Treble winner. Sorry, I shouted a bit. Sorry about that, okay. listener. Treble winner. The man who did. No less. Uh, for uh, Bayern oh, yeah. in Madrid. Mm. Mm. He did. Yeah. All right, Michael. Which Champions League winning player does this career path belong to? Cruzeiro, Sao Paulo, Villarreal, Barcelona, Chelsea, Fluminense. Begins at Cruzeiro, goes to Sao Paulo, then to Spain with Villarreal and Barcelona, then Chelsea before finishing at Fluminense. That's hard. I knew Tom's one straight away. I don't know this one. Cruzeiro? Mm. It's all from Villarreal to Barcelona to Chelsea. Yeah. Champions League winning player as well at one of those clubs. Probably not Villarreal. Going to have to hurry you for an answer there, Michael. I'm baffled by that. Clearly, I should Champions know. League winning player began at Cruzeiro, São Paulo in Brazil, Villarreal and Barcelona in La Liga, Chelsea, and then Fluminense. Who would that be? I'm, I feel like it's someone from the 2006 Barcelona team, but I don't think I can guess anyone. No, I don't know. Pass. Juliano Belletti. Yeah, I was just. Yeah. Ah, it came to me right at the end. What did it? It genuinely. Right. Juliano Belletti. Scored in the final as well. Yeah, it did. Yeah. Or did he? Was his, wasn't his the shot that actually that went in off Armunia and was yeah. probably an og? Oh, uh, I reckon these days, I think that would go down as an og. Interesting. Interesting. Just putting it out there. Okay, question two. Here's a quote from Jose Mourinho, Michael. But who is it about? I could answer in many different ways, but I'm not going to lose my hair to speak about blank. I could answer in many different ways, but I'm not going to lose my hair to speak about blank. No, so it's clearly a, a bald manager. Uh, I, it feels like it should be Guardiola, but I don't remember him saying it about Guardiola. Could it be Spalletti? Have they had rows? Uh, I don't know. I'm going to go for Spalletti. No, it's... It's funny. I understand your reasoning. It's Antonio Conte. Uh, Successful hair transplantings, Antonio Conte. Yeah, I should have got that. Tom, here comes a question for you. Again from Jose Mourinho. But who is it about? I studied Italian five hours a day for many months to ensure I could communicate with the players, medias and fan, media and fans. Blank had been in England for five years and still struggled to say good morning and good afternoon. Claudio Ranieri. Tis, of course, Claudio Ranieri. With that, Tom Williams, you are 2 nil up. Question Ooh. three. Dan Michael. Dangerous lead, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. 
Question three. Michael, does the comeback begin here? Which is the only club that both Kasper and Peter Schmeichel have played for? Manchester City. Is correct. And he's on the board. Tom, just a one question margin now as I ask you Justin Cliver has played for two of the clubs that his father Patrick also represented which two are they Ajax the other club that Patrick Cliver had played for and then his son also represented Tom? Struggling to think of where else Justin Cliver has played. Mm. That's very much key to this. <laughs> very much key to this. Yeah, have you got anyone? What of your stabs in the dark, perhaps? Roma? No, it's not Roma. Michael, do you know? Valencia? It is Valencia. Valencia. It is Valencia. All right, it's just one point in it now. On to question four. Three questions remain. Michael, you go first. Jens Lemon did it in 2006. Didier Drogba did it in 2008. Juan Cuadrado did it in 2017. But what is it? The middle one was Drogba in 2008. Didier Drogba was 2008. Jens Lemon had done it in 2006. Yeah, uh, sent off in a Champions League final. Is correct. All Easy. right, they're level. Easy. But Tom, with this you go back in front. Christian Carambo did it in 1998. Roberto Carlos did it in 2002. And Rafael Varane did it in 2018. What is it? Won the Champions League and then won the World Cup. In the same year? In the same year. Yeah, I mean, I think we can accept that. You specified the year, so I think uh, yeah, built in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay, yeah. fair enough, fair enough. Oh, so you're one point ahead again as we go into the final pair of questions. Here comes question five for you, Tom. Which of the following players did not play for both Milan and Inter? Hernan Crespo, Christian Vieri, Antonio Cassano, and Alexander Pato. Can I have him again, please? Hernan Crespo, Christian Vieri, Antonio Casano, and Alexandra Pato. Fairly sure the first two both did, so that means it's Casano or Pato, unless I'm completely barking up the wrong tree. Um, I'm going to say the odd one out is Pato. Is correct. Alexander Pato played for Milan. Uh, Michael, you need this. Yeah. Question five. Which of the following players did not play for both Barcelona and Real Madrid? Robert Prozineski, George Haji, George Popescu and Michael Laudrup. Which did not play for both Barcelona and Madrid? Fairly sure it's Popescu. And you're absolutely right. So, just one point between Tom Williams and Michael Cox as we head in to the final dramatic pair of questions. Michael, you go first. Two different Spaniards have managed Everton. Can you name them? 
Martin, uh, Roberto Martinez and uh, Rafa Benitez. Is correct. So now, Tom, it all comes down to this. Either a tiebreaker or a place in the final. It will be determined by whether you can tell me the two different Dutchmen who have managed Chelsea. Two different Dutchmen have managed Chelsea. Need Tom to name the pair of them. Ruud Hullet and Gus Hiddink. Is correct! And Tom Williams, you are in the final of the Inter-Totally Cup. Congratulations, Mr. Williams. You're through to the final of the Inter-Totally Cup. And if you think that Tom is onto a winner with his bet, you'll find the very latest odds on LiveScoreBet.com or the LiveScoreBet app. It's over 18s only. Full account terms apply. And of course, please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Michael, that's two years in a row. You've crashed out. Just crash out. Losing 6-5. <laughs> 6-5 losing six, six, in the semi-final. Is that crashing? No, out? it was a stirring comeback, but that, that, that early wobble. Yeah. I I shouldn't, uh, did I get the first two wrong? You got the first Sorry, two five, wrong, yeah. Five, yeah. Yeah, yeah, fair play. Fair play. Shame about Belletti. I'm annoyed about that. But uh, yeah, it was a tough question. Point. I would say. Yeah, I think I think the questions were, you know, perhaps slightly in my but favour. To, but you to, can only answer the questions yeah. that are in front of you. Yeah. To be fair, it's um, these things even themselves out, and I I did get the easy ones against Charlie over did here you? in the um, first round. Right. So uh, yeah, fair play. Well, very sporting of you, Michael. Very sporting of you. Look forward to uh, seeing you next time. And seeing you next time, Tom, when you go up against producer Charlie in all his myriad forms. Charlie is a tricky adversary. Luciano Moggi, exceptional quizzer, but also, you know, the producer of this podcast. I mean, he has my proverbial balls in his proverbial hands. Well, indeed. Every time I step into the studio, do I want to? Do I well? Do I want to upset him by? Not that good in the semi, though. I didn't think he was in great form in the semi-final. Right. So but he might be liberated. Having got, often semis are the most nerve-wracking. Yeah, aren't they? It can right. be. Yeah. Worst time to worst time to lose in many ways. Yeah. <laughs> Commiserations, Michael. Anyway, you're staying in the studio to do the athletics uh, football tactics podcast. Yeah, just a brief review of the uh, Premier League season, kind of bite size. Yeah, thankfully I didn't come in just to lose to Tom in the quiz. Right. That, that would have been quite uh, quite gutting. It's a Premier League review, not a Europa League final breakdown. No, no, just a Premier League season. <laughs> All right, then. Well, uh, congratulations, Tom. Look forward to seeing how you get on against producer Charlie next week. Uh, that brings us to the end, by the way, of today's show. Next Monday's show is actually going to be on Sunday, straight after the FA Cup final, well, the day after the FA Cup final. So look out for that a little bit earlier than usual. For now, though, it's many, many thanks to Michael for popping by, to Tom, to Charlie, to Laurie, and to a special guest producer, Jesse, a new listener. Have yourself a great weekend and we'll catch up with you soon. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Discover bonus video content by searching for The Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an athletic media company production and sponsored by LiveScoreBet. Get the latest football betting odds at livescorebet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. The Athletic. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? 
we've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.